Ahoy Authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Watts, a StoryGrid certified editor dedicated to helping you develop self-editing skills and write a better story. If you want to learn more about the podcast, read the show notes, and grab this week's editorial mission, visit writership.com slash podcast. Welcome to episode 138 of the Writership Podcast. Today, I'm talking about world building, the way you craft the domain that your characters inhabit. Now, as I gear up for the next phase of the podcast, I'm taking a little detour from the regular format. So in March, I'll bring you more submissions and critiques. But in the meantime, I want to share some information, tips and exercises from some of my favorite posts in the captain's blog. So we're exploring world building. Today, I have a quote from Neil Gaiman, and it goes like this. The worlds that we build in fiction, they're soap bubbles. They can pop really easily. But that one little moment of reality, that one thing that seems to be absolutely true, gives credence and gives credibility to all of the things that you don't say. Again, that is from Neil Gaiman, and it comes from his masterclass, which I highly recommend. Now, he talks about more, way more than world building, um, but it's really excellent, and I highly recommend it uh, that you check it out. I'll include a link for that in the show notes. So last time I talked about setting, but this time I really want to talk about how you build the world where your characters live and work um, and whether your characters live and work in a world that looks like ours or they travel through a portal to somewhere else that is virtually unrecognizable to us, exploring new ways to enter the story universe will help you craft a world that better supports the story you want to tell. So where should you begin? Well, it makes sense that different writers would approach world building differently, but there are two main ways that and, and of course, variations of the two, and they include top down and bottom up. So no matter what your approach, of course, you can use what you know about your story and the world to solve for what you don't. Let's start with top down. A top down world building is one, a system that moves from general to specific. And writers who employ this method might begin creating the world in broad strokes, sketching an overview with basic physical and sociological elements, including the people and the time. And once they have the fundamentals nailed down, they can add increasingly complex layers from which their characters arise and begin walking and talking. So to me, Tolkien's Middle Earth is an example of a complex setting that's created in this way. Now, in contrast, bottom-up world building begins with the story and the characters. The writer creates the world as they go, and they add layers and details as they need them, rather than creating the world and then allowing the characters to arise from them. 
Ursula K. Le Guin's Earth Sea Cycle is a good example of a, of a world that's created in this way. And actually, this is closest to the method that I'm using to forge my secondary world for my nautical fantasy story. I started with a historic period of the real world and or our real world, our plane of existence, and I have adjusted the details to suit my story as I go. Now, just as important as making decisions about the content and makeup of your world is the way you convey that to the reader. Here are a couple of suggestions to help you get the most from the way you deliver those, this necessary element of your story. So first, use specific and concrete details. You want to choose ones that are memorable, important, and distinct to create an experience for the reader. For example, when describing the weather, don't say it was hot. Instead, show us the distorted air above the pavement, you know, dogs panting nonstop, or your character breaking into a sweat within moments of exiting the air-conditioned home, even though she's dressed only in shorts and a sleeveless top. The second suggestion is to use all of the senses, right? Writers often lean on visual description, but of course we have other senses that when combined with the visual create a richer reading experience. So provide vivid pictures, of course, of what your characters see, but don't forget that they can smell, touch, taste, and feel as well. And speaking of characters, Filter your world description through the point of view character or the narrator, depending on how you've set up your narrative situation. Now, what one character notices in a given scene will be different from what someone else might notice or what the same character might notice during a different time. And those details help the reader inhabit and experience the world as the characters do. For example, a person who grew up in a rural village will experience Chicago in a very different way than a native would. But it's more than the place a character grew up in. For example, a botanist might think of the names of species of plants while walking through the neighborhood instead of merely noticing that a particular design is lovely. Forensic pathologists would experience the smell in a setting within the world differently from a child. The fourth suggestion is to weave in the details. Now, front-loading description and using several sentences or a paragraph to set the stage is one way of setting the scene, but it's hard to do well. The better course most of the time, is to weave the concrete details into the scene, that is, into the action and into the dialogue. So have your characters interact with the objects where they are, or have them look outside and notice that the sun is going down. Remember that your setting and world are part of the story, not something apart. So when you pay attention to the details and how they're delivered, your world becomes so much more than just a backdrop, a place where characters are doing and saying things. When you present specific and telling details 
through the point of view, point of view character's frame of reference, you can help the reader land in your story and stay there. Now, this episode is really heavy on the editorial mission because I have loads of exercises and questions and things for you to try out. These are all things that will help you build your world and understand what it is and what it isn't. One of the main things these exercises will help you do is to see your world with fresh eyes. Of course, a lot of the exercises lend themselves more easily to exploring fantastical worlds, but consider how you might adapt them if your realm is far more realistic. Okay, the first is location as character. I mentioned in the last episode that sometimes the setting of your story can stand in as a character and even be the force of antagonism. I mentioned Jack London's To Build a Fire, where the frigid environment of the Klondike serves as both character and conflict. A place shapes the people who live there and might even determine who can live there. A given location has its own distinct personality that affects the people and events within it. Even if your environment isn't out to get anyone, consider who it would be if it were a character. So think about these questions to get yourself started. What are the emotions evoked by the place? For example, if you compare New York City and Savannah, Georgia, The terms that surface might be frenetic versus languid. And then what is the character of the people who live there? How has it changed over time? What beliefs and values are common among the people who live there? And how do the cultural characteristics of the people and place reflect the terrain, climate, and animal and plant life in that part of the world? So then if your world, you know, like your particular location were a character from a story that you've read or watched, who would it be and why? The next exercise I call the golden rule. Now the golden rule is part of an ethical tradition, a, you know, a general guideline about how people should treat others. Of course, a quick survey of history reveals that it is more easily said than done. Still, It says something about a place and people that they aspire to treat others the way they would like to be treated. For example, a group of people might value empathy, or at least think they should, even if they fall short of the mark, and that says something about them. So consider how the warrior culture of the Spartans differed from that of the people of Athens. And you might consider... For example, how a worthy sacrifice would have been defined differently in both places despite their proximity in time and space. It's worth it to spend 10 or 15 minutes exploring the way people treat others in your world. And so you might start with these questions. So what are the rules about how people should treat other people? That is, what do people say? But also, what are the unwritten rules about how people should treat other people? 
Think about what the origin of the rules is. Is it religious? Is it strictly cultural but and secular? Are the rules in this regard legislated? How do most people actually treat other people who are similar to them? And what about those who are vastly different? How do people treat others when no one is watching? And think about whether people have a duty to render aid, like the Good Samaritan laws require in some places, and what that says about the people. How do strong people treat those who are weaker or have less power in your world? For example, are children treated with kindness or are they exploited for labor by adults? What are the manners like in your world? Is there an unwritten code that dictates how people should behave? What happens if someone violates the code? The next exercise is I call the golden age. Now, times of plenty are marked by economic growth, innovation, progressive governmental policies, sometimes, and increased interest in the arts. But as history reveals, good fortune ebbs and flows. So explore what would happen in your fictional world as society peaks just before a downward trend. Imagine that you are, for example, a political pundit, a social commentator, or a, criti a cultural critic in your world. So you can see the writing on the wall and you make dire predictions about how life is about to change. So draft an editorial in which you explain how the good times got started. In other words, what combination of factors led to society's good fortune and why the good times are coming to an end. Provide advice for those who are willing to listen about how to weather the lawless times ahead. Now, speaking of the lawless times, that's the next exercise. Societies move in and out of order and chaos, though some have more than their fair share of the latter, with greater periods of lawlessness, injustice, and corruption. Imagine that you are a journalist or historian writing about a time in the recent or distant past when a community, region, or nation within your world experienced a period of unrest. Consider what was the catalyst that started society's descent. Did anyone try to stop it? What was the period of lawlessness like? How was business conducted? Did parallel economies arise? Were certain portions of the population relatively safe? Who was the most vulnerable? And who rose to the top of the food chain? What normal functions of society broke down? And how did people adapt to the conditions? How long did that period last? And who helped restore order? How did they go about it? So you can use these and similar questions to explore the times in your world when lawlessness and chaos prevailed over order. Now this next exercise I call the first spell. And of course, that is a reference to a system of magic. If you are not writing in a fantastical world, then you might consider other firsts for the people in your world. And particularly, I'm talking about characters. So 
perhaps the first time someone learned to drive, for someone who is an attorney, the first time they represent a client in court, you can think of all kinds of examples. And first time experiences are really rich with details. So think about your own first times for doing something important and really mine those details for your characters. But again, specifically, this is about the first spell. And the first time your character casts a spell is a great opportunity for you to showcase the magic system of your world without having to explain too much. So magic is again, part of a fantastical realm. But it's as much an element of the setting as the weather and topography. In essence, it's an energy system that the character can tap into and direct to a greater or lesser degree. The character will have, of course, beliefs and expectations, some of which will, might come from other people. And chances are they will be changed in some way by the experience. Otherwise, there's not really a point in including the display. The magic can be quite practical or it can have a, a deep spiritual component. So a couple of examples that you might want to check out. Um, chapter one of Ursula K. Le Guin's The Wizard of Earthsea. But of course, you might also look at Harry Potter's first encounters with magic. So here's the exercise. I suggest that you take 10 or 15 minutes to sketch a scene in which your character casts their first spell. After you've completed it, review what you've written in light of these questions. Why did they do it? Were they using their powers for good or evil? Were they curious and experimenting, or was it an urgent need? Was it intentional or completely unexpected? Has the character seen someone else perform the particular act of magic before? Did the character undergo training, or are they just winging it? How do they feel about the experience? Are they reluctant? Are they excited? Are they terrified? How do they wield the magic? What method do they use to, to cast the spell? Are they confident in their abilities? And how certain are they of the result that they want to achieve? Is it successful? Does the character achieve their main objective? What risks are involved? How could this go terribly wrong? What does the character learn in the process? And what mistakes does the character make? Finally, what is the source of the magic? What are the consequences of using it? Now, what comes out of your own experiment here might surprise you. Make note of the things that you learn by exploring this area of your world. Okay, the sixth exercise is called Ignoring Physics. So in a science fiction novel, of course, you are free to play with the laws of nature and physics to create your own unique world. It should make sense, given the circumstances, but of course you can ignore certain physical principles to suit the purposes of your story. So I suggest that you write a scene that reveals how your world differs from our own. And after you've completed it, review what you've written in light of these questions. Consider what was your purpose in altering reality? How does the change support the telling of your story? 
Is this a logical extension of something that happens in the real world? Or is there a reason within the story for these circumstances to be different? What is the effect on your story world and in what ways does it differ from our own? Who benefits from this alteration and who suffers or bears the cost of the change? Does the change make sense in light of the rest of your world and the story? Do you need to alter other physical rules as well? How can you set up the expectation for this difference at the beginning of the story? And then finally, what do you love about this change? What about it inspires you? Also, what's the biggest challenge? Okay, here's the last one I'm going to talk about in this episode, but know that there are a bunch more exercises in the, in the show notes. So be sure and, and check those out. This is number seven be a tour guide. So you probably have a very clear vision in your mind of what your world is like. But how do you begin to convey that vision to your reader? Well, you can practice by becoming a tour guide within your fictional world. Here are several options to help you find your way. First, Imagine that you are a realtor in your locale and you need to share information with potential buyers who must move there for work. Assume they know nothing about the place. Draft an email to your prospective clients. Consider how you will highlight the positive aspects and minimize the not so pleasant elements. Here's another option. One of your characters has just arrived in your setting and she writes a letter to her parents describing what she has encountered so far. So experiment with different purposes. So imagine at first that she wants to reassure them and then write it again, imagining that she really wants attention. Next, imagine that you are a travel writer visiting your world. Write a blog post that you might submit to a travel magazine or website. Be sure to include things like accommodations, food, entertainment, the means of arriving and getting around once you're there. Here's another option. Imagine that you are a journalist who reports for the equivalent of the New York Times, The Guardian, The Atlantic, or People magazine in your world. You are on location, in the setting, covering a significant event. So I want you to draft a dispatch to tell the viewers or readers what you found. Last one. Imagine that you are a student returning to school in the fall and your teacher has instructed the class to write about how you spent your summer vacation. So write about the trip you made to your setting, the setting of your story. Were you pleasantly surprised, genuinely horrified, or something in between? Now, I know I said that was the last, but I really want to include Neil Gaiman's suggestions from the masterclass on storytelling about world building. And some of these are kind of exercises and some are really strong suggestions. The first is create a map of your world, 
even if you're not a visual artist, because seeing a visual representation can help you see the big picture and create the conditions for inspiration. Two, avoid cliches and ripoffs. Don't adopt someone else's world. Now, if you're struggling, you might use a fictional world as scaffolding, the same way that I'm using a real historical period as scaffolding. But be sure to replace the elements to fit your realm, characters, and story. And to that end, three, use confluence. Let your reading, viewing, and daily travels inform what your world is and isn't. Four, keep lists of places that inspire you and revisit the list often. Five, remember the rules. Every place has natural rules or laws that can be a strong source of conflict. These will probably develop over time, but you want to understand them and the consequences for breaking them. Six, do research. Even if your world is fantastical, find out about the real world analogs so that your world has a grounding in reality. Seven, go back to your influences for inspiration. So I want you to reread your favorite books with the setting in mind and consider the answers to some of the world building questions that I've shared to help you see how these writers dealt with the challenge of world building. Okay, that's it. But remember, there are a lot more exercises in the show notes. So go and check them out. As I wrap things up, I offer deep gratitude to all the authors who submit to the podcast. Also, big thanks to the Patreon crew for supporting the podcast. If you enjoy the show and would like to show your support, visit patreon.com slash writership, where you can gain access to the Q&A calls and the deep scene dive sessions for the cost of a couple of cups of coffee a month. If you'd like to show your support in other ways, tell a writing friend about the podcast or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you'd like to have your scene critiqued on the podcast, visit writership.com submissions. That's it for episode 138. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast.